number 19, pardon me, something got in there and not letting go. <coughs> While you're turning, again, we are so appreciative of all the different uh, things that so many here have done individually, different little tokens of appreciation and kindness to our family while we were here. We're grateful. You're in our hearts and in our prayers as we as we commute. We think about you often and we appreciate your friendship. Appreciate your prayers for our family. Do think about us and pray for us as we go. Leave tomorrow and <clears throat> head home for a few days and then out Saturday for a revival in Ohio and then we uh, stay in Ohio for that week and then there's three more meetings we have later on <clears throat> in the month of October all back to back in that Ohio area as well so pray that the Lord will keep us safe as we go and we'll be praying the Lord watch out over you as well it's been a privilege honor be invited to be here uh, by the pastor and hosted by you all this uh, week of meeting. Genesis chapter number 19. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to, for our text, uh, read um, just one verse of Scripture because there are several verses that we will refer to throughout our thought. But I want us just for our text verse to read uh, out of chapter number 19 uh, here, verse number 27, speaking that of Abraham. The Word of God says, And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. Abraham, the great patriarch in this verse here, he rises up in the morning, the Word of God says early in the morning, and the place that he was noted to stand before the Lord and what we would say pray, to commune with the Lord. Now I want us for a few moments tonight to look at this morning of prayer. We've been looking at the mornings, the different meditations of mornings in the scripture, and uh, there are numerous more. There uh, one some we, we can't get to this week, but uh, over there where the Lord was <coughs> in the temple, and uh, I, I wasn't, I didn't really realize this at the time as I was studying the thought of the morning, but when they brought the woman that they said they called in the act of adultery, that was in the morning, the morning of forgiveness. And uh, then there's mornings of sacrifice that Abraham rose up early in the morning when he took Isaac on top of Mount Moriah. Then uh, I was really praying and seeking the Lord today about ending with the morning of joy. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. And then Jeremiah talks about the mercies of God. They are new every morning. It'd do you good just to get your concordance out. Of course, nowadays, an app on your phone and look at the mornings in the Word of God and they will encourage you, I'm certain, as much as they have encouraged me. 
But our time tonight, we'll conclude with this thought of the morning of prayer. As Abraham gets up, and he is noted, there's numerous times, I say numerous, there's at least three or four times that God emphasizes Abraham rising up early in the morning. And here he rises up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. Mr. Spurgeon said, that great older writer that often preachers refer to, and he wrote a lot, and he preached a lot. He said this about prayer, and that being in the morning. He said, prayer should be the key of the day and the lock of the night. And how true that is, that our prayers should, our days should begin with prayer, and we should conclude them uh, in our day with prayer. And we do ourselves an injustice not to rise up early in the morning to pray and commune with the Lord uh, and to start our day off with that. We do have a pattern given by the Lord as He was here on earth. The Word of God says in Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 1 and verse number 35, and in the morning, talking of the Lord, rising up great while before day, He went out and departed into a solitary place and prayed. So it is important for us to develop a habit of rising up early in the morning. Now, some of you may have a habit of getting up early but in the morning, but prayer may not be what motivates you to get up. You may have other things that are prying on yourself to get you up early in the morning. But let prayer be that that is included in that early rise. So Abraham gets up early in the morning and he prays the place where he stood before the Lord. Now let me give you three things tonight. I was kind of chided a little bit last night about not concluding my sermon as if that was just a part of lack of study to spread out one sermon for two nights so I didn't have to come up. There's different individuals in our midst tonight that kind of headed down that direction. Uh, but that wasn't the case. Uh, I, I had this already developed. I wasn't trying to delay, but we'll do our best to conclude this sermon uh, tonight. I want to give you three things about prayer, and, uh, and specifically wrapped around this event of Abraham's life. I want you to notice, number one, the burden for prayer. The burden for prayer. Here in chapter number 18, we see the verse number uh, 20, there are three men, of course God is one, the Lord said that there in 18 or verse number 20 rather that the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and come up before him because of their sin. And the Lord says to Abraham that I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now what we must realize, we do ourselves great injustice if we do not surround our knowledge of what has happened in these verses previous to this verse 20 of chapter 18. Abraham and Sarah have just received the greatest news that they had ever received before. They had heard it before, but now it has been emphasized and Sarah is hearing it that they are going to have a child. Abraham in his old age and Sarah in her old age in verse number 10 have been told that God is going to bless them with a child. 
And as these men were leaving, the Lord turns around to Abraham. He will not hide this from his friend, Abraham, and he tells him about the judgment that is going to rain down on Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Abraham, he could have uh, left thinking, well, that's too bad for them. Or, man, I hate that's happening, but boy, we're going to have a child. He could have just, he could have camped out in the good news that he had heard and received and not really been so burdened about Sodom and Gomorrah. He could have been excited about what had happened to him, but he stands yet before the Lord. In verse number 20, the Word of God says, And the men turned their faces, chapter 18, verse 22, And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom and Gomorrah, or Gomorrah, uh, toward Sodom. But look at those last words. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. You see, this was a burden that Abraham had for Lot, his nephew. Now, Lot had caused him some, can we use the word trouble? There had been some strife, to be using the biblical word, between Lot's uh, herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen. And uh, Lot uh, was went out from Abraham, and uh, Lot had uh, left Abraham behind, and he got out from his, uh, uh, his place there and went and began to pitch his tent toward Sodom. He chose Sodom. And uh, knowing that Sodom was wicked, Lot went down the wrong road. Now, I don't want to get camped out there and drag this message out, but can I just say this tonight? That regardless if you're young or old, but specifically to the younger crowd that isn't really experienced in life, there's a lot of things that are appealing in this life uh, that may not necessarily be wrong in themselves. Money is not a sinful tool, uh, but if it becomes a desired treasure and ceases to be a used tool, it will become a tragedy in your life. And that's anything. There's a lot of good tools, but when they become treasures, they end tragically in your life. And, and, and Lot could have very well pitched his tent towards Sodom and just used the fields for his cattle but I tell you what, he did not realize the danger of leaning that direction, and he wound up right smack dab in the middle of that ungodly city. And that'll happen to any one of us that lean in that direction. We better make sure we lean far enough to the right so we'll never be confused on what direction we're going. If you lean to the right, you won't ever have to worry about getting too far to the left. You just stay leaning that direction and you'll be where you ought to be. But Lot left Abraham and then God blesses Abraham after Lot leaves. Lot looks at all the well-watered plains and he chooses them and right after that the Lord tells Abraham, I am thy exceeding in great reward. Lot's getting what is temporal but I'm going to give you something that's lasting. 
And can I tell you, that's exactly what happens, young people. When you say no to the world, those things that you desire, those things that are appealing, but you say no to them, God won't leave you empty-handed and empty-hearted. He'll replace those things that you say, I'm not going towards them. He'll replace them with something that is of substance, something that is of, uh, of eternal value when you say no to the things of the world. So here Abraham, he is now without Lot and he's been blessed by God and things are going well. He's now been promised again that he's going to have a child but now he's been informed that Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed and he has a burden for Lot. And he stands yet before the Lord in that verse and he begins to pray. He begins to beseech God. He begins to become burdened for Lot. And I'm telling you tonight, dear friend, we live in a wicked society, undoubtedly. We live in a world where it seems that every way you turn, it's against God and holiness. It's against the church and righteousness. It's against family values. We live in a society today that is against family values uh, in, in our nation. Now, uh, when Daniel and myself, we went to Australia, we stayed with a great, we were with a good man of God, and his wife's American, he's Australian, but what I'm saying is we, I met him a few months ago, uh, and we were in Knoxville, and we were fellowshipping, and uh, if you know much about Australia, it's a heathen nation. It's very heathenistic. And I mean, they are far, far to the left when it comes to the environmentalists and all of that. But he told me when he came here this time, his wife's an American, he's been here numerous times, he said he was amazed at how much this uh, homosexual, transgender, that type of uh, philosophy is shoved down our throats. He said it's not that way in Australia. It's almost like you want to be that, that's fine, but it's not pushed from the hierarchy like it is here. And he was somewhat taken back by that. So that's a fresh set of ears and eyes that came from a very secular, heathenistic society where anything goes there. And he comes and he's able to evaluate just how much an agenda is being propagated in our society. So I'm telling you tonight, you know, but we live in a world that people, our society, they hate family values, they hate righteousness and godliness. There's no doubt about that. But if we don't watch ourselves, we will become anti-society to the place where there's animosity and resentment to the people and their philosophy. Now, I'm not saying we are to go along with their philosophy. That ought to grieve our heart. That ought to do what it did to Lot, vex our soul. It ought to cause us to be repelled by that. And I'm telling you, Abraham was repelled by that. Abraham despised the way that Lot in Sodom was living. He was grieved by what he saw. But I'm telling you, he still had a burden for Lot. And that's what we have to make sure that we have a burden for those in this world that we live in. Now how do we have a burden? Can I tell you, in order to have a burden, 
There must be a vision. We have to have a vision. Abraham realized what was going to happen and he had a vision, and that vision and it, it came, that burden came from the vision. I can give you numerous verses, you know these. Lamentation 3 and verse 51, my eye affecteth my heart. Exodus 2 and verse 6, speaking of the daughter of Pharaoh, when she saw the baby Moses, the word of God says, when she saw the child, she had compassion. The Lord said this in Matthew 9 and verse 36, but when he saw the multitude, he was what? Moved with compassion. Uh, there's no doubt that, uh, that Sodom and Abraham was disturbed by the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Matter of fact, when he delivered Lot out of the captive state that they were in, in chapter 14, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah said, let's give you some reward for helping us. And Abraham says, I don't want even a shoelace of what you got. I don't want anything from what you have. Just give me what we uh, have spent and that's all because I don't want anybody to say that you made me rich. I don't want to have any ties to Sodom and Gomorrah. However, instead of Abraham bickering about the sin of Sodom, he was burdened about the state of Sodom. Instead of him getting angry and, and, and frustrated about how Sodom was, he was burdened about Sodom. Now I'm going to tell you tonight, uh, and I don't want to get on another hobby horse, but I'm going to tell you, uh, we cannot adequately be burdened for the world if we're not burdened for our next door neighbor. We cannot be honestly burdened for the loss in some third world country and how often we are when we see their pictures, we see them malnutrition, we see them uh, in great numbers of orphan states, we see them in some little homemade shack and boy, we, we just we dig in our pockets and we contribute uh, and we give, but then when we go to the grocery store and we see that man over there ringing out uh, our groceries, so we don't even reach in our pocket and give him a track. Now, we ought not to reach in our pocket and put money in the plate if we're not reaching in our pocket and pulling out a track. I'm saying it takes a vision. And in order to be burdened, God give us a burden when we pray. I know we're burdened when we pray for our children. I know we're burdened when we pray for our special needs. But I'm talking about being burdened in the matter of praying, period. Having a burden for praying. So here he was, he was burdened in his prayer. Then notice, secondly, notice the begging in his prayer. God tells Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And when he does, Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? In verse 23. And here he begins to beg and plead with God. He immediately began to ask. And asked God to spare the city. And he kept giving numbers. He kept asking, didn't he? He began in verse 24 with the number of 50. Lord, if there's 50 righteous in that city... Will you spare it? 
And the Lord answered and said, I will. And then he goes down and he says, will you do it uh, for 40? And, and, and uh, God does it. And then he, he keeps going and he says, will you do it for 30? And, and indeed he says, I'll do it for 30. And he gets down there uh, and he, he gets to 20. And he says, uh, will you do it in verse 31 for 20? And he says, I'll do it. And then he gets down to 10 and he says this in verse 32, let not thine anger, Lord, uh, uh, let it not, Lord, be angry, and I will speak yet but once, preadventure 10 be found. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10. He was pleading with God. He's begging with uh, to the Lord. He's He's beseeching God over and over and over and over and over again. We have this illustrated in a parable that the Lord tells in the book of Luke chapter number 18. He tells us about a lady that had an, a, a, a stranger came to her house and she went to the man who didn't fear God, the Bible says. And, and she came and she asked him and she began to ask him and he wouldn't give her what she wanted but the word of God said by her continual coming. She just kept coming, she just kept coming, she just kept coming and coming and coming and coming until he just couldn't handle it anymore. And it was in that setting, it was with that backdrop, it was with that premise being set that the Lord makes this statement, men ought always to pray and not to faint. I don't know about you, but every once in a while I get tired of asking. I get weary of beseeching. I get worn out with begging. And I say, my goodness, I've prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it, but I haven't seen any results. I'm going to tell you, that ought not to be when we stop. That ought not to be when we let up. I'm telling you, you may have come down to this altar time and time again for some need in your life, some desire on your heart, whether it be for revival in the church, whether it be for a loved one to be saved, whether it be for a need to be met, I'm going to tell you, don't ever let it be that we just quit, we give up, we stop. Oh, we ought to beg and beseech and plead and beg and beseech and plead. God, do what we're begging and pleading for you to do. There's a man in the Old Testament, sometimes we don't really note him for his prayer life, but the Lord does highlight his praying in the book of Job, chapter number 1, and verse number 5, speaking that of Job's children. Job's children would feast at their family's house, and Job would pray for his children. And the Word of God says this, Thus did Job continually. Job kept, I know we note Job for his faith and we note Job for his strong belief in, in God when everything was snatched out from under him. We note Job for a man that endured hardness when he had a great loss. But I will tell you, before any of that ever came in Job's life, Job was faithfully begging and beseeching God for his family every day after day after day. He kept praying. He kept praying. Job was a man, just like Elijah was a man that God highlights in the book of James. Elias, a man subject to like passages as we are, yet he prayed 
How did he pray? He prayed earnestly. When did he pray? And he prayed again, the Bible says. Job was a man. Not only the man Job was, but look at the place where Job lived. He lived in a town called Uz, and that was, if you study that, that was a pagan, godless land. That was a land where relationship was the Lord with the Lord wasn't on the it wasn't on the main agenda of people's life. But Job did not become uh, a part of the minority. Uh, the majority. Job was a man of the minority. You can look down at Job's house and see him praying faithfully and continually. That's the man Abraham was. I want you to notice something about Abraham in this praying. God didn't stop answering. Joe, Abraham stopped asking. He asked for 50 and God said yes. 40, God said yes. 30, God said yes. 20, God said yes. 10, God said yes. But Abraham stopped at 10. He just didn't keep asking, but God kept answering. You'll find out, you just keep asking. God will keep answering. I can't tell you when and I can't tell you how, but I'm going to tell you tonight, there must be some begging in prayer. And I know our culture today, we, we, we kind of want things instant, don't we? I mean, it's amazing to me. You, you go to the gas station and they call it instant cash and you stand in this long line for people to get these scratch-off cards. We know that ain't instant. But people want instant cash. People want instant food. People want instant everything. But I'm going to tell you, God does not get in a hurry. God just don't get in a hurry. I wish he did hurry up from time to time. But God don't get in a hurry. I illustrate it often this way, and you may have heard it before. You probably forgot it by now, but you may have heard it before. But God created this earth and everything that we see, everything that is made, God made, and he made it by his voice. He did write some things on the ground, man, and so on and so forth, but for the most part, God spoke everything into existence. But he did it in six 24-hour day periods. Now, I'm going to tell you, if I had that type of power, I wouldn't have drug it out for six days. I would have said, watch this. And I mean, everything would have been created in about two seconds. I mean, I would have been popping stars out and animals out and people out and it would just been happening everywhere. But God, what we would equate it is this. God drug it out for six days. That gives us a little insight of the character of God. God's calendar, God's timetable, God's clock don't run like ours does. Or should I say it, ours don't run like his does. Don't quit praying. He kept praying and kept praying. The burden for prayer, the begging in prayer. Then notice, lastly, the blessings from prayer. Our text says, and Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. That place of prayer, and he looks out. And as he looks out over Sodom and Gomorrah, in 
Verse 28, there was smoke of the country went up as a smoke of a furnace. Y'all are pretty familiar with that visual, aren't you? You see that often burning the fields? I guess you can't equate to the hills or the bluffs or the mountains, but he stood on this hill and he saw all that smoke rising from Sodom and Gomorrah. But notice what the, the book says here. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plains, what? That God remembered Abraham. God remembered Abraham. You see, I, I, we don't want to get on a lot, but you know the story that I would envision that you do. I would refresh you if you don't. But the angels come to Lot and they, they get Lot out of town. All that went with Lot was, was five and one of them didn't make it, his wife. And here Abraham was praying for God to save Sodom and Gomorrah. If there was ten and there wasn't ten, but God spared Lot. That's who Abraham was praying for. And he did that because he remembered Abraham. He didn't spare Lot because he did it for Lot's sake. He did it for Abraham's sake. There's numerous illustrations in Scripture about that. One is Moses. When Moses was on top of the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, Aaron was down leading them into pagan worship. And when Abraham and when Moses comes down and sees what's happened, he's irate and he pours that gold into the water and they have to drink it. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to destroy them all and make of you a great nation. That's what God said. Now when Moses wrote a psalm in Psalms 106 verse 23, it says this. Therefore he said, that's God said, that he would destroy them, that's Israel, had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. There was somebody, in this case there was Moses, that stood before the Lord just like it was said that Abraham stood before the Lord and by him standing, I would envision him kneeling in prayer, by him standing there, God spared Israel because of his praying. Because of what he talks about in Ezekiel, he made up the hedge, he stood in the gap. He stood there for this nation that God was irate with, this nation that God was fed up with, and he was going to destroy them, but he stood there in the breach, and God withheld his judgment from them for a whole nation. But in this illustration, Abraham stood and kneeled in prayer, and God spared Lot all because of Abraham's prayer. I want to give you two little thoughts here, and it's going to be over. Number one, envision with me now. Abraham rises up early. There was no snooze buttons in those days. 
So Abraham rises up early, and he comes and he stands before the Lord, and we've read about it, verse 28, and he looks over that plain, and he sees that smoke. The Word of God equates it to like a furnace boiling up. And in his mind, Sodom and Gomorrah is disintegrated. Is that correct? Nowhere in the Word of God, nowhere in the Scripture, do we ever find that Abraham ever heard that Lot was saved. As far as we know, Abraham realized there wasn't ten. And God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot perished. There's nowhere. There's nowhere where Lot met up with Abraham and said, I made it. There's nowhere where they come back together and their cattle begin to graze. As far as Abraham knew, his prayer wasn't answered. But he didn't quit. He still got up early every morning. Not long after that, that beloved son that he loved, it was him getting up early in the morning because he got a word from God to take him up on top of the mountain and to give him up. What I'm trying to say, my dear friend, you may not think you ever got your prayers answered. You may think God didn't hear what you prayed for. As far as you know, you may never know what God's doing. But don't quit. Don't stop. Don't get bitter and think God doesn't care. God doesn't owe us an answer. And I'm going to tell you, God can keep a secret. And He can keep it from you. Abraham didn't quit praying. But let's flip the coin over. Lot is in that city and these angels come. And they said, Lot, you've got to get out of here. Because if you don't, the city is going to be destroyed and we cannot do this while you're here. And they take Lot by the hand. Read the word of God later. They take him by the hand and they don't use this word, but they snatched him out of town. They drug him out of town. Why did they do that? Well, the Word of God already told us why they did that. Because Abraham prayed. But you know what? Nowhere in the Scriptures do we ever read that Lot knew that Abraham was praying for him. The angels don't tell him, you got an uncle that's burdened for you, son. So that's why we're here. you got an uncle that really cares about you. And he stood before us early in the morning. He stood before us and he begged when we were going to destroy it for 50. When he begged when we were going to destroy it for 40. And uh, he just kept asking because he loved you. And we, we heard him praying. And we're here because of his prayer. Nowhere in the word of God does it ever say Lot knew that he had an uncle that prayed for him. I'm going to tell you tonight there's two classes of people that's here. Those that are saved, of course. But can I tell you, there's some Abrahams here. That you're praying for 
lots in your life, whatever they might be. Whether it is a wayward relative, whether it is a financial problem, and you feel like God hasn't heard. You feel like God hasn't answered. You feel like that God isn't doing what you're asking. But I'm telling you tonight, don't get unburdened. Don't quit begging. Don't, don't quit beseeching God, but just keep going back to that place of prayer. Keep rising early in the morning. And then there's lots here tonight. There may be scattered in this room, there may be some even listening online that you have some Abrahams praying for you. You have some grandmothers or some grandparents or some fathers or mothers or relatives, a pastor, a neighbor, a Sunday school teacher, a friend. And, and you don't realize tonight that you're on their heart, but they're praying for you. They're praying maybe that you'll get saved and come down to, to the house of God and ask Him to save you. They may be praying that you quit running after the world and chasing the things of the world. They rise up early every morning begging God to do something in your life. Begging God to do something in their marriage. Begging God to do something that you will uh, get serious about serving God. Maybe a lot here tonight. Tell you, you better get out while the getting's good. You better do what's right while the opportunity is there. We see the Lord saved Lot because Abraham prayed. And I'm thankful tonight for the many times I've seen the Lord answer prayers. You know, our home church, we have a prayer journal. It's just a little spiral thing that's made from the secretary's office. But, and uh, it's, it's sectioned from Sunday to Saturday. And our church secretary has uh, taken the membership and put them alphabetically and spread them out so you pray for five or six or however many families on Monday Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, different ones. So by the time from Saturday, from Sunday to Saturday, you prayed for the whole congregation. Under that, she's done the same thing with the missionaries alphabetically. Spread them out. We support close to 100 missionaries, maybe a little bit more, and she spread them out under the pastor's uh, guidance, of course, for the, the seven days. Under there, there's other prayer requests you can write by hand, but then on the bottom it has prayer answers. It's nice when you can write in there some answers to prayer. That's encouraging. But you know, there's some prayers that we may not ever know that's answered, but God knows. God knows. So as I repeat myself, but I don't want to repeat myself, don't let it stop you from rising up early in the morning to pray. Because you don't see that answer. Just keep getting up and keep beseeching the throne of God. And find, as Abraham did that morning, a prayer. I'll tell you, they say so many statements about prayer. 
but I, I'll quote one and end. R.G. Lee, that great Southern Baptist preacher, said this, and he was a preacher. He said he'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. He said God would do more with one man that'll pray much and preach little than he will with ten that'll preach much and pray little. What God would do with this group of people in this room tonight if every morning we found ourselves rising up early in the morning beseeching God in prayer for the church, for the pastor, for the mission work, for revival. I'm telling you tonight, it would amaze us in six months the difference of what God's not only done in the church, but what God's done in us individually. The morning of prayer. Will you stand with me tonight as we bow our heads?